Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Aaron Alwell. We recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia on my recent trip south. Aaron is a fantastic fiddler and clarinetist, and I'm sure he plays lots of other things too. In fact, I think we met in a jam at my first clifftop, and he was flat-footing while playing a double slide whistle. That was years ago, and it was in the middle of the night, but I'm pretty sure that was Aaron. Anyway, there's no antics in today's interview, just some neat tunes of Aaron's choosing, some hot fiddling, some ambitious banjo playing, a very unique Cumberland Gap, and a little chat about what makes Aaron tick. Stick around after the interview if you want to learn how to hear more of Aaron's music, support the show, and get access to exclusive Get Up in the Cool content like MP3 downloads or the weekly bonus track blog. All right, let's get it started. Here's my jam and interview with Aaron Elwell. Enjoy. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Great to be here. Uh, what's, what's that tune? That's a tune called Bumblebee in a Jug. Uh, there are a couple recordings of it. The one I learned from is George Lee Hawkins. Um, what else does George Kentucky. Hawkins do? Oh, he... Rats Gone the Rest, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Very Another good. popular tune. A more yeah. popu- slightly more popular tune yeah. around, but also a great one. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Uh, that's a very delightful title. <laughs> it is a great title. Bumblebee in a Jug. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Um, you play a lot of different styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play a lot of different instruments. 
actually Sonia asked if you were if she was like is Aaron gonna try to sneak in clarinet <laughs> to any of these? I was like I don't know I, I guess I'll, I'll wait and it, find it, out and as much as one can be I've been trying to exercise a little subtlety in, in how I inflict it on old time music so I wasn't going to push it you know uh, I'm <laughs> I'm all, I'm also on a journey to try to figure that out. <laughs> so, um, right on. So you, you dip your toe, well, not dip your toe, you dive into many, many, many different genres and stuff. And I guess what I want to know is like, what is the role of music in general in your life? And then maybe specifically old time. Sure. Why well, do you, why do you play this music? Well, my, my, uh, initiation, uh, into music really, I heard a lot of different kinds of music when I was growing up. My parents were both sort of caught up in what is often referred to as the folk revival yes. of the, you know, late 60s, 70s, yeah. where uh, kinds of, especially, you know, traditional folk or yeah. uh, acoustic music from all around the world was kind of all the rage. So yeah. pretty much, you know, anything except for, oh, we, we might have heard a little bit of rock and roll of certain varieties. Yeah. Or uh, even less country, probably, in the home when I was growing up. And it wasn't that they, they didn't, you know, like that music. It was just, I think, that they were, yeah. you know, uh, ex especially interested in all these kinds of folk musics that had sort of been somewhat forgotten. So they, um, my parents, you know, got especially drawn to Irish music um, starting before I was born. And that was probably what I heard the most of when I was growing up. Yeah. So... I I played a little bit uh, around on, I, I, my dad taught a recorder class when I was in grade school. That was some of my earliest exposure to music. And I played a little bit of Irish music from that point, but it wasn't really until I was about 13 and a half that I, uh, my mom brought me to Ireland for three months in the middle of a, a school year. I was going to this uh, very nice alternative school that was more willing to oblige like, yeah this is education right. go, to, exactly. go to ireland yeah and, 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 and indeed i think it really turned out to be because that was the thing that from that moment forward i i just wasn't really interested in anything else the way i was interested in music yeah uh, there was a, a really wonderful musician uh whistle player and flute player patter uh riley who if he's out there hi patter um he uh was really key in in uh getting me interested in this and that he uh he played just about every night of the week in this little pub in a town called Doolin where we were hanging out and he really took me under his wing and just did everything he possibly could to encourage me That's and awesome. so uh I I got home from that trip I I started playing more flute at the end of that and I borrowed a fiddle um when I returned by about the time I turned 14 and there was kind of no real turning back from that point um I uh, I didn't just focus on Irish music alone, uh, but it was probably the majority of uh, what I was what I was doing at that point. I, you know, I, I'd hear uh, French Canadian musicians and Cape Breton musicians, and yeah, yeah. Breton, and I, you know, I'd, I'd learn tunes here and there from all of that that kind of stuff. But uh, I was definitely aware that I. Uh, my understanding of Irish music was probably a little greater due to my greater exposure. And so I think from the beginning I had, uh, you know, always tried to keep a level of, of respect for, for musics that I, I didn't understand as well, whether mm -hmm. they seemed simple or complex yeah. to me. <clears throat> so something I see some fiddlers doing, 
when they're playing, and I see you doing this, is uh, with with your leg, like uh, an 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 old time player will typically just go stomp, stomp, the stomp with the heel. Right. <clears throat> but I see sometimes other fiddlers go. They'll do like a stomp, but then like a leg jiggle. I think it's sort of a, a measure of the degree of nervous energy that one is trying to unload. And some of us, you know, have a little bit more. And so, you know, both legs start bouncing maybe, or, you know, one of them double time and various other. So you think that's just like a, a thing that some people do? Because I, I was, un- <laughs> it, it I feel like little, I see it, it in Irish common. music. Yeah, it, it is more common in Irish music. And you, you, you see some really complex, you know, double yeah. tapping and stuff. Yeah, like um, sometimes they go back and forth yeah. and then like doing the subdivisions on the upbeats with each foot. <laughs> yeah. I was just hanging out with uh, Marty Fry. He's a yeah. Irish flautist. Yeah, yeah know. I just saw him. And uh, yeah, his his legs are just kind of going all over the place. Yeah. I was just like, I, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. I think it can be a way of finding other elements of yeah. the, the beat. You know, there's the downbeat and the backbeat. And often one tends to get, you know, underemphasized in uh you know in certain contexts so various ways of tapping like that can help you understand the rhythm so on a similar note are there any like so for all of the you know sort of respect and nuance that you like attempt to like you know give to all the genres that you play are there ways that like you can't get away from like irish fiddling you oh know? yeah definitely and and there are ways that things all end up getting blurred together despite yeah trying to keep them distinct and I think that's you know a perfectly natural part of the process mm-hmm. and you know shouldn't be avoided entirely uh when yeah. I first started playing old time music which well first of all I'll, I'll take this opportunity to uh to give a thanks to a, a, a good friend Rick Martin who was very important in helping me sort of cross a gap into old time music yeah. which was basically when I when I first started getting really interested in it and and attempting to play it, I found that there was kind of a, a bit of a, you know, two rough categories of tunes. There are the ones that sounded more like what I was used to, which yes. basically had a bunch of notes. Yeah. And that I sort of knew what to do with those ones. And then there were other tunes that didn't seem to have nearly enough notes. Uh-huh. I just didn't know what to do with those ones. But thanks to uh, a handful of lessons that I, I had with Rick, um, who is one of the most patient and methodical teachers yeah. I've I've ever known. He really helped me figure out some things with bowing patterns specifically yeah. that really just gave me a platform to take off in an old time music. And so at that point, um, when I started feeling like I was able to make my, my old time sound a little more authentic, yeah. I be- started really studiously trying to erase all of these elements from my old time playing that I thought of as more specifically Irish. And, uh, you know, after a few years, I had more or less managed to do so. And then I started hearing a lot of those elements in, you know, supposed old time playing Mm -hmm. people who had been recorded in in America. Yeah. Um, But a lot of them probably had some pretty deep Irish yes. influences yeah. as I started to realize. And so gradually I started allowing some of those elements, uh, right. Sort of, uh, what would normally be left hand grace notes for people yes. with my right hand right. as I play backwards. But right. We, I want to talk about we'll, that we'll later to that. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting kind um, of, yeah. <laughs> 
so maybe, maybe unpack it a little more for people who are unfamiliar with sure. like the different traditions. So you said something that's interesting, which is you didn't know what to do with the tunes that had less notes. That might seem like counterintuitive that that would be difficult to some people. So like maybe explain that. Well, I guess it really comes to the comes from the notion that the music that is transmitted orally like this, that doesn't have a, a fixed way that it goes. Uh, a lot of us really think of as being, uh, it's, it, it is an improvisational music. It's not to, to the extent or in the way that jazz or bluegrass would be, yes. say, where you just wor are working off of a chord progression and you do whatever you want yeah. that makes sense to that chord progression. But you are trying to interpret these melodies and make them you know, somewhat your own and also yeah. uh, pay respect to what they've been, I think. So in, in that way, um, to the end of, of trying to, trying to interpret, uh, make the tune more interesting, put your own stamp on it. Yeah. Um, an Irish tune, I guess there's, there's different ways that you, that you ornament or, modify a tune depending on diff what what the genre is that you're you're playing and in, in irish music and in, in general i think there tends to be more again what for most people is left hand work uh finger on the fretboard grace right. notes and rolls and there's some there's some bow ornaments like triplets that are, mm -hmm. are used heavily but maybe not as much uh pattern yeah do you like like you. shuffle in irish fiddling nope. at all <laughs> no and, 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 and by contrast it seems like in irish fiddling you usually want the bow changes to be it's not that they're well there's a, a wide range i think of how fiddlers express this some some fiddle players you you watch their bow and you can't really see a relation Ship between where they're changing yes. directions and the rhythm that they're playing yeah and some of them you can more and I think yeah. that's that that spectrum of uh, you just see more of that in old time where there's a pattern. Yeah, you can actually you you see their bow and you see it emphasizing the rhythm that is the overall rhythm of the tune, and there tends to be less work, grace note and stuff on on the fingerboard. Yeah, uh, let's play um, let's play this next tune uh, and then yeah I want to like. Uh, ask more about uh, you told me a little bit about it before but like playing playing backwards fiddle and like uh, that learning process and like because you're not left-handed correct yeah um so me I'm, and I'm Diego Montoya yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's something you don't know except you know it now yeah uh lost girl where, where's this lost girl from? Uh, Walter McNew was a fiddle player from somewhere in Kentucky. I forget where. Uh, I'm not as good with these details as some of my friends. But um, yeah, I got really interested in, in Kentucky music um, kind of right at the beginning when I... Sorry, I just got your Inigo Montoya reference. It's been a really, it's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. I was just, I was distracted because I was like, what is he talking about? Oh, yeah, that's like, <laughs> like a plot element. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Please continue. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Walter McNew was someone that Bruce Green recorded, um, I think, in the 70s. And I discovered these recordings on the Digital Library of Appalachia yeah. of Berea College, which is a wonderful resource. That, that I, is a good resource. I just discovered that. Yeah. Uh, there's like this awesome... Uh, 
I don't know how, maybe Clyde says this in all of his performances, but like someone's asking him about like where uh, Clyde Davenport like learned to fiddle. And he says something like, I didn't learn nothing from nobody or something like that. <laughs> it's like so hilarious. Like maybe he says that all the time, but I heard that on a Bria college. Like, yeah. yeah. Walter <clears throat> McNew. Mm-hmm. Very good. always such a sweet tune yep that's in that's in c Mm -hmm. normally it's in g yeah the other other versions yeah more common ones um pretty much the same first part the second one is just a little a little wonky isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. a little a little more lost yep yeah i was you were fine (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah really cool so um left left left-handed fiddling yeah, so basically, uh, I had an accident when I was a year and a half old uh, on my left hand regarding uh, uh, involving a wood lathe. 
uh, the gear and the gear belt. Um, I'll say no more other than that it was probably much more traumatic to my parents than to me. Yes. I don't remember anything about it yeah. or ever having had those fingertips. So yeah. I don't really have a, a sense of yeah. being missing anything uh, except for a couple instruments when I go to play um, you know, a classical guitar, for instance, yes. you really use all those fingertips. Yeah. But in general, I feel like it hasn't really, uh, in all the instruments I play, it hasn't been any particular impediment. Um, mm -hmm. I have a slightly modified way of holding the flute that mm -hmm. is pretty similar to how Indian Bansuri players huh. uh, reach, where they just use the flats of their fingers. Interesting. Um, so it's not, not a really... Yeah, big deal with the flute, uh, and then the fiddle. Like we we're saying, I I started playing left-handed. I never um, played right-handed first, so I I just got my first fiddle and switched the strings and the bridge around on it. Yeah, and uh, really the biggest challenge is just getting good instruments, uh, because in the classical world it has never really been encouraged. Uh, in Ireland, by contrast, it, all the Students in, in uh, elementary school are taught penny whistle uh, early on, and they aren't made to play one way or the other. They're just yeah. allowed to pick up the instrument, whatever is natural. Yeah. And because it's, uh, you know, symmetrical. Yeah, totally. And uh, so as a result, there's some pretty significant proportion of uh, whistle players and flute players who play left-handed, and so we end up making a lot of... Me and my dad, who, uh, we make... Uh, Irish style wooden flutes. Uh, I did not know that. Oh, <laughs> very <yeah>. cool. <laughs> uh, so we make make you know a lot a lot of left handed instruments yeah. for, for people there. But by contrast, in uh, in the classical world, and and sort of by extension, just because there haven't really been um, that many people play left handed historically, it's really difficult to get good instruments. So as a result, whenever people ask me my opinion about playing left handed versus right handed, yeah. I say well. I'm not left-handed myself, so if you were to do it the way that I'm doing it, you know, if you were left-handed, you would play a right-handed instrument. Right. And I think, if anything, I might have had a slight advantage, at least in one aspect, which is that the hardest, one of the hardest things about the fiddle for most of us when we start is the intonation. Yes. And so having your more dexterous hand be in control of that, yeah. you know, might, might help speed things along a little bit. Yeah. It's but. always like a little bit there's uh every once in a while I see someone who's holding it holding it backwards and uh it's uh it's always just like a little bit like spooky or something like I'm looking in a mirror or something <laughs> and it's like wait wait hold on <laughs> what's going on here. It's funny sometimes I notice it immediately when other people are left-handed but I also wonder if I sometimes don't notice it for yeah. a long period of time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've certainly been playing with friends of mine, you know, for sometimes a long amount of time before they realized. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder, yeah, <laughs> what makes it look, is it, maybe it's just that, you know, I, I look especially awkward holding the fiddle. So uh -huh. something looks out of place and they figure, oh, wait, oh, he's left in. <laughs> Something's not right about this man. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, it's, it's like he's wrestling with an octopus. <laughs> uh so what's it like um bowing with a non-dominant hand you know i'm not sure because i've never done it the other way right. i mean <laughs> um does it feel like you're trying to like wrangle it more i get yeah i guess because you well, never try I, I definitely do i'm not sure if this is a reflection on this or 
or something else, but I, I definitely have uh, times when I'm playing when I feel like I sort of forget about the bow. Yeah. And then I will remind myself if I remember that, hey, this is half of uh, fiddling here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be more aware and, and conscious of the, right. the decisions I'm making with yeah. my bow. And I, I kind of go back and forth about, you know, sometimes I think it's also really nice to just, you know, play without thinking at all, you know, about any of these aspects, but. Right. Should we, uh, should we do this Knoxville rag? Let's do it. Uh, a tune, a tune that I actually know. <laughs> Always refreshing. first heard that tune i just could not figure out what was going on (laughs) it seems so intuitive now but yeah some tunes just have like a like a like a moment like a it's funny how that yeah it happens so often right with this music where the first time somebody starts playing something you think there's no way what are you doing to me 
And then after five times through, it's kind of starting to make sense. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you're like, oh, I could probably clean up these last, yeah. you know, a couple little bits. And yeah, I think it's like learning, learning like ideas. Yeah. Like you know, you start with the idea of like, okay, a tune has two parts. Um, um, and then you learn a three-part tune. You're like, yeah. oh, this tune has three parts. I have to remember not go to go back. And but then pretty soon, that's you just are totally comfortable with that. And then you start learning crooked tunes. But this one is like a tune that has two parts with a middle thing. Some, it's some, not a part. Some tunes just really defy structure and reason. Yeah. And you can you know you can try to break them yeah. up into these sections, but yeah, it's a challenge. It just has like a, a hook yeah. to it. Um, Alex Kramer has has a tune that he wrote that that, ha that has a moment similar to that. That's like, one, once you explain it, it's like, oh, there's a section in here that's not actually a section. It's just a, a thing that happens. <laughs> it happens at a predictable time in between the parts. But if you're not, if you're thinking about it in terms of like, this is the A part, this is the B part, you're just going to have a bad time. <laughs> so, uh, cool. Where, yeah, where's that tune from? I don't even know. That's, um, I, that's fine. Not remember. You don't have to be an encyclopedia <laughs> for all of these. That's fine. Cool. Um, well, I need to get to G real quick. So yep. let's take a quick yep. tuning break. Yeah. Um, by let's, I mean me. All right. Um, what's this? Uh, what's this next tune on the list? I can't read it from here. Oh yeah, uh, Luther Strong recorded uh, a whole bunch of tunes in one, at least one, maybe a couple uh, Library of Congress recording sessions, and uh, I think he might have been a little, a little drunk and a little in the morning. <laughs> They recorded these from from what I remember hearing, but awesome. There are some of the some of the most incredible recordings of yeah. uh, of like the early stuff, I think. Um, so yeah. Anyway, this is his take on Cumberland Gap. Right on. Thank you. 
forgot which part was the A part. <laughs> it's because I started on the same one as I ended on. That's probably why. <laughs> it seemed right. Uh, ra- raise potatoes long as your arm. Yeah. Very good. Sweet taters. Something like that. <laughs> Very good. Cool. Um, well, we have... Um, we got one tune left. Um, thanks so much for... Uh, being on get up in the cool all right yeah it was really fun we're uh thanks to sonia for letting us um indeed <laughs> inhabit your space while you work <laughs> no problem <laughs> yeah. and uh thanks charlottesville for being a cool town had yeah. a lot of fun here totally. yeah um we're gonna play magnolia one step yep Na- is it nation brothers or nations brothers i want to say nations nations i like that better <laughs> <laughs> We're not America first. We're nations, brothers.
Aaron Alwell is going on tour with his Western swing band, the Big Dixie Swingers, and the first stop is tonight in Chattanooga, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, April 26th. Then they hit Asheville, Stanton, New York, and end in Belmar, New Jersey on Monday, May 1st. So if you're free and in the vicinity, make sure to stop by and tell them Get Up in the Cool sent you. If not, make sure to like and follow the Big Dixie Swingers on Facebook so you can catch them next time they're in your neighborhood and, uh, you know, watch all their super fun videos. If you want to hear Aaron and I play Grey Eagle for this week's bonus track, that's one of the reward levels on Get Up in the Cool's Patreon page. It's a great way to let me know that you love the show and want me to keep making it. And you'll get access to the whole bonus track blog so you can binge listen to all 40-something tunes. Kick in a little more money and you can download all the tunes from this episode as well as previous and future episodes uh, separated out from the dialogue so you can just hear the music. If you can't afford the bonus track or tune download reward levels but still want to show your support for Get Up in the Cool, just sign up to kick in a dollar per episode. I'll give you a shout out on the show and you'll feel a little more responsible for the existence of a thing that you like. Just go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the button that says Patreon or click on the link in this episode's description or in the Facebook post. Big thanks to Vern Emmerich for signing up to support Get Up in the Cool on Patreon. You're awesome. I hope you enjoy the bonus tracks. Some of them are just a fun little extra treat and some of them are amazing. Jake Blunt's Pork Fat Makes My Chicken Tan, Ryland Burhan's Colorful Verses to the Tune Police, uh, David Deacon's Dry and Dusty is really pretty. Lots of good stuff in there. All right, that's enough for now. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week for more Get Up in the Cool. <laughs> <laughs>